0: Well, hey there, everyone. My name is Daniel, and I'm the online campus pastor here at OAG. I am excited for today's podcast because this is from our series entitled, Before You Knew Me. This will be stories and testimonies shared from folks just like you and our own church family. So sit back and relax and be inspired by what God has done and is still doing in the lives of His children. Today,
1: we're going to hear from one of our own. We're going to hear from Cornelius. And I know some of you say who in the world is Cornelius you might not know Cornelius but you may know Gator so Gator come on up and uh, we're yeah let's give him a hand now we we need a cordless mic for you yes, sir. so uh, Lee what did you here comes Charlie okay and 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 Gator I know probably thought that he got his name from fighting gators or something like that. But, but uh, Gator, you did not grow up as Gator, did you? Nope, okay. Cornelius. Okay, t- t- tell, him, uh, tell him how you got your name.
0: I moved up to Detroit City when I was 17 years old. And I went to work in the steel mill. And they asked me my name and told me it was Cornelius. Well, they had my uniforms made up. Well, Cornelius was a little bit too long to put on the name tag, so they named me Gator since I was Florida boy. Yeah,
1: and so for,
0: for years I was called Gator, and it stuck.
1: Yeah. Now, and you grew up here in Florida, uh, but it wasn't in the uh, in the high rent area that you grew up, right?
0: No, I, I'm just like you, the poor <laughs> called us poor.
1: Yeah. Okay. And I, I want to hear that. But I I want to, and and I, I know I didn't mention this to you, but how many of you ever heard of Mob Barker's uh, uh, shootout. Now didn't you have a relative involved dad, in that?
0: My dad was a deputy sheriff back in uh, whenever it was. Whenever it was home, <laughs> But okay, yeah. 30 something to other. Whenever they had, to, had the shootout over there and they caught the Ball Barker gang because they were drunk one afternoon and they were standing on the dock shooting alligators with tommy guns. That's dad, how they I found it. Somebody called in on them and they come up and it was the Ball Barker gang. My dad, my dad was a wasn't a full-time deputy sheriff, he's what they call a special deputy sheriff. Yeah. Um, His last year was 1955 when he retired from it. And the only time that they used him was when they had something to do. They'd come get him, send a motorcycle down and pick him up. And they'd go over and they'd uh, bust a joint or whatever it was for that night, and that's,
1: that's how he did his service. So he did his, uh, his redneck uh, uh, uh-huh. in reality, huh? That's it. All right. Well, share with us your story. He's got an awesome story. I want him to get to, of course, his uh, healing that God did for him and, and all. But uh, go back and, and, and share us your story, and I'm going
0: to sit down and listen, okay? All right. Lee had hit on two things tonight when he was up here. Uh, the first one is don't give up on your family. And you're looking at and oh boy Baba didn't give up on <laughs> I can remember her in the middle of the night getting down beside the bed under her and praying for all those heathens. No matter what it takes, Lord, bring them in. And I've told people over and over again, I truthfully believe that it was the prayers of my mom is the reason I'm standing here today. My mom never lived long enough to see me saved. We grew up very poor, like Pastor did. Poor people used to call us poor. We were so poor we had cardboard on the walls instead of drywall or wood. You could hear the rats running around and in it at night crawling up and down the walls. I used to shoot them with my BB gun through the cardboard. If i kill one, I'd cut a hole in the bottom and drag him out. That may sound funny, but that's the way it was. I grew up with an outhouse. I grew up with a pitcher pump for water. And we lived in downtown Bellevue. If anybody knows where the police department is in Bellevue, right across the streets where I grew up at. Matter of fact, where the police department is right there right now it used to be our baseball field. Our Gatorade used to be on the side of a telephone pole over there and you'd go over and you'd unscrew it and get a drink. <laughs> but those days are all long gone now. Things are different. I grew up in Pentecostal. I cut my teeth on a pew. I was probably smuggled into the church before I was born. I know it was because Mom was pregnant with me. But we, were, <clears throat> we grew up apostolic. And some of you know what apostolic is and some of you don't. Um, all the rules and regulations. Um, no women couldn't cut their hair, couldn't wear makeup, couldn't wear jewelry. Guys had to wear long sleeve shirts, long pants. I grew up like that as long as I can remember until I was about 14 years old. My dad said, well we've had enough of this church and we're leaving. He started preaching, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't pay your tithes you go to hell. Dad said, that's it, we're out of here. So we left and it was short, shortly after that Dad passed away. My dad passed away when I was 15. I've been on my own since I was 16. I've had a 40-hour-a-week job and married with children since I was 17. So, I had had enough of the Pentecostal religion in my younger days. I couldn't go watch a ball game, I couldn't go to the movies, I couldn't listen to the radio, I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't do anything, everything you did. I had to get saved twice a week. <laughs> yeah. All that preacher ever knew was hellfire and brimstone. And if you don't come down here tonight, you're going to hell. And when I got old enough, I said, Poof! I've had enough of this. I can't live like this. And I went, and I was a wild child. I was a very wild child. If it wasn't for that one sitting over. I probably wouldn't be here. Lee also said another word tonight. Lightning. I had run from the Lord for 20 some odd years, and run hard too. I'd do everything in the world not to go to church or serve the Lord, and it was hard. Because in the back of your mind, the whole time, God's saying, Come on back. And the other one's sitting on the other shoulder, going, You don't need that. And it was a constant battle. And for years and years, I was a wild child. I was so wild in high school, she wouldn't even date me. And that's the truth. Her and her first husband, and me and my first wife, used to double date together when we were in high school. She come, when I moved up to Detroit she come to live with my mom. And mom always told her, you are going to be my daughter-in-law. She's like, I can't be your daughter-in-law, I'm married, he's married, how am I going to be your daughter-in-law? And there she is. So, she moved up to Detroit with me after she got divorced and I got divorced. And she's up there, we up there what, about a year? And she says, what are we doing up here? I said, I'm making a living. She says, you don't have no family up here? I don't have any family up here? All our family's back down in Florida? I'm going home, are you coming? I said, yes ma'am I am. <laughs> so, we come on back down here and lived for quite a while, still not serving the Lord. And I guess I was about 40 years old, when the lightning bolt got me. No, I'll take that back. That was later on. But the calling on the Lord, I used to smoke so much dope you wouldn't believe it. And I did that for a long time. When I got to be 40 years old I started having palpitations of the heart. And it only happened when I smoked dope. Somebody was trying to tell me something, but I wasn't listening. (laughs) So, I about drove her crazy. I gave up drinking, I gave up smoking cigarettes, I quit swearing, and I quit smoking my dope all at one time. She was ready to kill me, (laughs) weren't you? But she hung in there with me, and I served the Lord for almost ten years got my life straightened back out again. I swore I'd never ever go back into a regular church. Swore it. I'd never set foot in another one. But I used to go to home church. I had a West Virginia, about 98 pounds soaking wet preacher that grew up with our family. And I used to go over to his house and have service. And that was good for a long time. And I started fading back a little bit, started backsliding. And that's when the Lord gave me my lightning bolt. I was forty-nine years old, I died twice in one day flatlined. I got hit with a paddle sixteen times. I didn't I was it was a hot summer day. Late in the afternoon and I was working hard pushing wheelbarrows load of gravel. Last thing I had to do on the house before I got it done was do the fire pit around back and make it look pretty, just putting all the gravel around it and make it look nice. I come back down to the truck, started feeling faint. I sit down on the back of the truck, got a bottle of water. Next thing I know I was waking up on the ground, fell right off the back of the truck. So, I called my boss, I said I'm not feeling too good. He says, what's the matter? I said, I don't know, never felt like this before. So, he come right over and I got in his truck in the air-conditioning and he says, well, you need to go to the hospital. I said, I'm fine, I think I'm bear-caught. I've been bear-caught many times here in Florida. And I quit arguing with him after about 15 minutes. He says, you're going. I was dead 15 minutes after I walked in the hospital door. I died in the emergency room. They hit me with the paddles nine times. I think it was 9, I don't know, I was was gone. And they took me up to the operating room and uh, they were in a procedure doing a catheter on me and I died again. So, they hit me seven more times and brought me back. Well, each time they brought me back I remembered as clear as day, there was a nurse standing over top of me with that bag, you know, and every time I'd come back I'd push her off of you. I knocked her back across the room there, in the operating room, and everybody started hollering, He's back, He's back. And I said, I'm not going anywhere. And when I got to the operating room it happened again, died again. Same thing, woke back up, knocked her off of me again, fighting for that first breath. They said, He's back, He's back. And I told her, I told that one right there, I'm not going anywhere. They let her in there for some reason, And she knew I wasn't going anywhere when I winked at her. Stuck your tongue out. Stuck my tongue out. That's me. And after that episode I was was up there, I don't know, about ten days or so. Got out of the hospital, sent me home, had on the monitor, all that stuff. And I started feeling funny again, short of breath, lightheaded. So I went back up again and told them I wasn't feeling right. So, put me back into bed again, put the monitor on me. I laid in there about three days, two or three. You know doctors shop in the hospital? (laughs) They do. They come around to your room to see how you are doing, especially the cardiologist. They are always in there trying to pick up business. Yeah, I get serious. I'll never forget it, Dr. Hahn was the um, head of the surgical staff at Monroe up there. And they said he was probably the second in the United States at being the best. He's the one that worked on me. And I was laying there in the bed, and uh, Dr. Versudovan come in there, and he asked me what was going on. I told him and everything. And he said, what have they done for you? I said, put this monitor on me a couple days ago. He said, I'll be right back. And he went and got Dr. Hahn. And Dr. Hahn come in there, and he looked at me and he says, I hear you're not feeling good. I says, yes sir. And, uh, hard breathing, real faint. He looked at his watch. He says, I'm going on vacation in about three hours. I'll see you in the operating room in 15 minutes. I was like, okay. And they went up there and they did a catheter on me. On the way up to the operating room was the best part. I just had this little blonde come in, she's a little old short thing like my granddaughter, a little bitty thing. And she was down at the end of my gurney as they was wheeling me around, headed me to the elevator. And I could just see her. She was just bubbling all over. And I knew she was going to explode at any minute. she goes, Mr. Ford. I said, yes, ma'am. She says, I'm the one to give you the paddles. I said, you're my best friend. She says, you were my very first patient that I ever put a paddle to. And you weren't going to die on me. Used to call me the miracle boy up at Monroe. Dr. Hahn, after they put, I got three stents. They put one in me the first time and then two more when I went back. No open heart, no bypasses, no nothing, just some stents. Dr. Hahn came in and seen me the next day and he says, You know, you're a lucky man. I says, I know. He says, No, no, you are a lucky man. He says, that little gal over there, they're trained to hit you maybe three, four times. You're dead. You got hit 16 times that evening. You're a lucky man. And that stuck in my head how lucky I am. And how God has had His hand upon me even when I didn't care about it. Even when I didn't know He was working, He was working. So I had this. I've been down with y'all Know that I build, build houses. I had a painter, Ted, Ted Presley, been my painter for 20 years. And Ted's, Ted, had, <laughs> every time he'd come to my, my house to work on it, Gator, when you come to church, Gator, when you come to church. Hey, we got something going on this weekend. You want to come to church? I was like, Ted, I'm not going to church. But after that episode, guess who the first person I called was? Called Ted up. I walked into, no I didn't call him up. We, I walked into his Sunday morning service and he about fell off the pulpit. He couldn't talk for a couple of minutes. My buddy, I still hadn't got right with the Lord yet. I thought it was, but I really wasn't. And we go to service and he'd give that altar call and I used to get the white knuckles. If I, any of y'all know what the white knuckles is? you sitting back there and you'd hold on to that pew in front of you so tight your knuckles would turn. They'd just turn, this white as widest be. I'd get the white knuckles every Sunday. I ain't going up there, I ain't going to you. I'm going up there. So, I went up there and rededicated my life to the Lord. That's been a long time ago, 27 years ago. Yep, something like that. But the lightning bolt that Lee was talking about—it was my heart attacks. Got a jerky chain, you know that. <laughs> yeah. Especially when you got a mama that prays, it prays, it prays, it don't give up on her children. That's where that lightning bolt was. It took that there to get my focus again on what I was supposed to be doing. And whenever I got saved again, rededicated my life to the Lord, I've done everything in my power to serve Him. I'm not a perfect man. If you've got a few weeks you can ask her, she'll tell you all my faults. But I do the very best that I can for the Lord. I try to make everything that I do count. I try to make a difference. And God gives me the strength. And God heal me, my heart. Guys don't like working with me anymore because I'll work you to death. But I'm right there with you. God's been good to me. Much more than I deserve. And like Pastor said, I grew up around here. This old cow pastures down here, they wasn't nothing. we got the villages now, (laughs) I had uh, cow pastures. (laughs) We didn't come down here, there wasn't nothing here. Only thing they did, watermelons I grew and cantaloupes and some tomatoes and stuff. Come down to see my my grandpa, my grandpa used to live right down there by the old post office. It might be still the post office over there, right down the street here on the left. My grandpa used to live right there at one time. we come down to see grandpa every now and then. But nobody ever come down here. Wasn't nothing here, nothing. Miles and miles of green grass, barbed wire fence, and some old moose. That's all there was around here. And now look at it today. How God has taken this church here. It didn't start here. It started down the street. And God has just grew this area and grew this church and grew this area and grew this church. God has got this church right in the middle of everything, which is good. It's excellent. You couldn't ask for what more could you want? You got the villages just around the corner right here and you got God right here. I pray every now and then that people drive by, they'll feel the Spirit of the Lord and come on in. It's been a long time since I've felt His presence like that. Anybody ever seen the shakana glory come down in the house? It looked like a fog. You couldn't even see the front pews. It'd be so foggy. And people were getting healed and passing out. Demons were getting cast out. It's been a long time since I've seen that. But it's still around. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Amen? I had... Uh, Men's Breakfast Saturday, uh, Brother Ed had shared his testimony. Uh, He's a retired minister, done a lot of missions trips, believes wholeheartedly in the power in the name of Jesus. And he was telling us that he had uh, cases of melanoma over the years. And he had one on his back right there. And how? THE DOCTOR TOLD HIM IT WAS TAKING ROOT AND IT WAS GROWING, HE HAD THE MOST AGGRESSIVE MELANOMA KNOWN TO MAN. AND IT WAS GROWING DOWN THROUGH HIS BODY AND IT WAS HEADED FOR HIS SPINE AND IT WAS HEADED FOR HIS LYMPNOIDS. AND IT WAS JUST GONNA, THEY WROTE HIM OFF. AND ED SAID, AFTER THEY TOLD ME THAT, HE SAID, I STARTED CURSING THAT SPOT ON MY BACK IN THE NAME OF JESUS EVERY DAY. HE'D SAY, Lump, I curse you down to the root in the name of Jesus that you die. And he did that for 30 days. His next checkup was 30 days. For 30 days straight he said every time he'd think about it he'd curse that that lump on his back. And they they had him scheduled to go in and, and take it off of him 30 days later. He said for 30 days he cursed that thing. And they went in there and they cut him open and they took that thing out at the Moffat Center. And they pulled that thing out and it was dead as a doornail. Even the very roots of it were dead. They said they had never, ever seen a melanoma aggressive like his wither up and die. That's the God we serve. That's the power in Jesus' name. You just got to remember to use it and hold steadfast on it. You know, I don't know what the Lord's going to, how long I'll be around. But I know this, He's blessed me for the last 17 years when they told me I wouldn't make it one year. God has been so good to me. He's been better than I deserve anything that I could imagine, and here I am down to retirement age now, and like me, I told my boss I'd give him one more year. What was I thinking? (laughs) But that's okay. Might even be more, I don't know. Depends on how much money he keeps throwing to Kitty. (laughs) I I shared a little bit earlier with Eugene and his dad about he made me an offer I couldn't refuse. He comes to terms of surrender. I told him I wasn't going to build houses no more, I build multi-million dollar homes. And I got, we got three big ones coming up, three big houses, I think the smallest ones 12,000 square foot. And not only with the house but barns and the other things that go along with them. I said, that's my boss said, how are you going to build them houses? He said, I don't know. I'm the only one who builds those houses for the company. I've been doing it for 12 years for him." He said, "'I don't know." I said, "'I'll make you a deal. You give me some young superintendents and I'll train them up in the next year to build them houses for you." I said, "'It's going to come with something. It's going to cost you money first off. It's going to cost you a new vehicle and I ain't going to be responsible for nothing.'" I said, all I'm going to do is drive around and run my mouth, and I'm good at running my mouth. <laughs> so he said, deal. So that's what I'm going to be doing for the next, and whatever else God's got for me. God's got a lot in my life. He's done a lot in my life, and He's got a lot more for me in my life. I know He does. Back
1: Cuba.
0: Cuba? Are we are getting ready to go back down there, uh, middle of February. I think we leave the eighth. Yeah, leave the 18th, come back the 25th. This will be my third trip down to Cuba. I'm going to tell you down there, those folks have absolutely nothing, but then again they've got everything because they've got Jesus. Those people would give you the shirt off of their back if you asked for it. A lot of them, when we go down there, they cook for us. They cook us breakfast, they cook us lunch, and they cook us supper. At least they did the last two trips. I, don't, I think it's tightened up a little bit now because of food rationing. But those people wouldn't even eat until we had our fill and couldn't eat no more. I didn't do it the first trip. The second trip I tried to get them to come sit down and eat with us. They wouldn't eat with us, not until we were done. Then they would come and eat after everybody had, had left the table and stuff, then they would eat what was left. The second trip down there, you all know I cook around here, right? I told them, it's the same crew, I told them, last day I'm cooking for you. you go, you're going to cook for us? I says, yep, I'm going to cook for y'all and I'm going to serve you. I had Freddie down there. He was the go-to man. Freddie knew everything in that whole area right there. Told Freddie, "I said, Freddie, I need some pork." He said, "What do you want?" I said, "I don't know. I just want some some pork, a, a pork shoulder, or whatever you can get me." He says, "Well, it's probably going to cost you ten dollars." I says, "Here's twenty. Go get it." So Freddie took off in about an hour he came back and he had a all he did stick at hog and they just cut him in half like that. <laughs> and they gave me a piece of it. And I said, okay, now I need some I need some potatoes and I need some green beans. He says, Green beans? I says, Yeah, green beans. And luckily the night before they'd cooked us some green beans. They don't call them green beans, they call them something else. I forget what it was. And there was some laying in the kitchen in there, and I said, That there. That's a green bean. He said, Oh. So he took off and he brought me back that. So I had my pork, I had my taters, and I had my green beans. After everybody got all said and done I went into the kitchen and I cooked for them. I took and I made made them pork cube steak with homemade gravy served over top of mashed potatoes and green beans on the side. They had no clue what gravy was. Never ate gravy in their whole life, didn't know what pepper was never use pepper down there. I was like, y'all kidding me, right? They got this one all seasoning that they use for everything, which worked pretty good. It's just about what I use at home for cooking, the cavenders, like the Greek seasoning. It's got a little this, little that, little everything in it. And I prepared that meal and I had made them all sit down. And I waited on them and I served them. And I made them eat till they were full. Then I cleaned up. You thought that I had brought them the moon and give to them. But those people are, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable how they love the Lord down there. The first trip I went down there, they're building the church, which we're going to be doing the same thing at another church when we go down in February. And every time I go down there I get sick. Even, even though how carefully you are or whatever, you still get the stomach bug. I don't claim that anymore, Jesus, I'm claiming a good, healthy trip this time. And I got the bug and I was laying block coming up the church here. And I had my wall and I was coming down through and I was feeling bad. It was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon and I I was feeling real bad. I could barely pick that trial and that block up. And there was three little Spanish sisters. That whole time that we were working they were praying. They sit there at the back of that church, it's all open. They sit at the back of the church there and they would pray for everybody working out there that God would protect them and give them strength and let the, the work of their hands be multiplied. <laughs> what I mentioned they pray all night too in different shifts? Everybody comes in at a different time and prays so there's continual 24-7 prayer going on. They prayed for 10 years to build that church before the first shovel got put in the ground. And those little old ladies were back there praying. And I was coming up the line a little closer, a little closer, and they knew I wasn't feeling good and they were praying for you. <laughs> holding their hands out. <laughs> Couldn't understand the Word because I don't speak Spanish. But they're going to it. And every stroke of that trial, every block I laid, and the closer I got to the back of that church, I felt better. One block at a time, I felt better. I'd lay another block and I'd feel a little better. And I got within about 10 feet of the corner there, and I was speaking in tongues. I was slapping mud block. And did little old ladies was in there just praying their little hearts out. It's the same little old ladies. You know, they got no medication down there. They got no neosporin. I forget the, the name of the man. He worked with Adam, and they mixed the mud for us. And then uh, pastor knows they make what they call the volcano. They put all their sand and their concrete and everything in it. And they split the water, and they go around with a shovel, and they flip that stuff. And they just go around in circles, flipping that mud, flipping that mud, flipping that mud. And that man that was working with Adam, I noticed he had a hole in the end of his tennis shoe. And the next morning he come in there and we were getting ready to go to work and he was, had his tennis shoe off and his sock off and his big toe looked like hamburger. That concrete had gotten there and that sand and just eat away at his toe, but he never quit working. And I can't remember his name. I remember as soon as I walk out the door, I says, you come over here and sit down. And I when I got a pan of water and I washed his foot. <laughs> I said, I'm going to doctor your foot for you. And I always carry Neosporin and Band-Aids and stuff. And I took and I washed his foot. I think I had some peroxide, put some peroxide on it, cleaned it real good. And I put that Neosporin on there and bandaged it all up. And I give him my boots I had, so he wouldn't have to suffer through those tennis shoes again. And right after I got done, after all the hugging and him patting and thanking me, I felt on my shoulder, I was still sitting on a little bench out back there, I felt on my shoulder. And I turned around, this little old lady had a spot on her leg, she's going, I said, okay, sis, go over here and sit down. And I doctored her up. About the time I got done with her, I looked around, there's three more. (laughs) So, I doctored them all up and everything. That was a great feeling to be able to do something like that for folks that don't have anything. And God blesses those people that have absolutely nothing, and He just blesses them. And He blesses them, and they're so faithful. They don't whine, they don't cry, they come to church, they praise and they worship God. The praise and worship service lasts about an hour and a half before we even get to the preaching. But they know how to serve the Lord. And even though they are so downtrodden and so the government's got their thumb on their necks, it doesn't bother them a bit, they still love the Lord. Ten years. Ten years they prayed. I, me, and eleven other men, Casey, pastor's son, was one of them. We were the first Americans that ever had been in that part of Cuba. They used to call us the Marines, and we stayed in what they call um, home hotels. And what it is, the people with a little bit better money rent out a room to whoever needs one. It's got uh, clean clean bedding, uh, your own private bathroom, shower, and everything. And we would, when we were all over the place in the neighborhoods, of course we didn't get the horse and buggy to take us, we had to walk. You know some of the other crew got to ride the horse and buggy, there's one of them right there. <laughs> but we'd meet on the corner, say, okay, 6:30. We're going to be on the corner right here. Everybody come from all all over the neighborhood, and we'd all meet right there. And I'll never forget, never forget it. The first hey, y'all. This is Pastor Daniel. And- to go down to the church, and it was probably four or five blocks down, and everybody was in their their windows and their doors, and they were peeking out. You know, we everybody's everybody in the crew was going, "Hola, hola." and waving. Bunch of western nuts, that's what they were. <laughs> they were scared of us the first morning. And the little ones, the little ones were out running around stuff and Mike Rumor and me, we had bags of candy and Mike Rumor had a bag of baseballs and stuff and we were trying to hand that stuff out, you know, but they were too scared to come out and get it, maybe get one or two kids to run out and get a piece of candy. They didn't even know what bubble gum was. Second morning. We did the same thing. And we started walking down there, and everybody's outside of their front doors. <laughs> and we'd munch it for the kids to come. And we'd, we'd give them, kids, whatever we could, you know, hands full of bubble gum and candies and lifesavers and lollipops. And we'd just fill them up with whatever we could. The third morning, the parade watchers were ready to go. They were all out on the sidewalk, waiting for the Westerners to come down through the street, and they knew what time we were coming to. And Mike was handing out baseballs and things to them kids. Them kids didn't know what to do. They had never ever in their life thought they'd own a baseball. And baseball's big in Cuba, very big. And we just had a good time doing it. And over the years of doing that, the government's going, "You can't do that no more." You're buying our people. You're buying our people. And I asked Jerry, I said, We're going to be able to hand out stuff? He goes, No, they said we can't. I said, Okay. (laughs) So we'll see when we get down there. But those folks, it's unbelievable the love that they give out. They'd do anything in the world for you. And I tried to make them laugh every time I could. I'd have them in stitches. They had a little. Shelf on their little kitchen hut out back there about that big and I'd get down there below it and I'd stick my head up And I'd walk by it like I right there and get everybody in the kitchen going I'd do anything in the world to try to cheer them up and make them make them laugh I've got a lot of good friends down there Yami our interpreter who fell in love with her. She communicates with Shereen all the time through Facebook I'm looking forward to going back down here, I'm looking forward to laying some block. I'm hoping that we get the chance, Pastor, to visit the home churches. You get to, I don't know whether we're going to get to this time or not, but you could, we took one day and just visited home churches. Now, when I say home church, I mean home shack or whatever they could put together, may have palm fronds for the roof on it, no windows, no doors just all wore out pieces of wood to sit on for benches and stuff. Maybe a bongo for the music, but that don't stop them from praising the Lord. And we walked into one, we have walked into I don't know how many down there, and we had one that had a tin roof on it. And I thought, wow it's got a tin roof. And we were in there sitting down listening to the pastor a few minutes and I looked up and there's, there's holes in this tin roof the size of baseball all over where it rusted all the way through. And we always ask them what they could use. What could we do for you that would, would help you out? And one pastor and his wife had a little bitty boy. He thought about it for a few minutes and he says, a bicycle. And Jerry says, a bicycle? He says, yeah. He says, me and my wife both visit the shut-ins. I visit the men and she visits the women. And she, he says, sometimes it's seven miles down to the furthest one and then we work our way back. He said, if I had a bicycle I could do three times as many visits. Well guess what that man got? He got a brand new bicycle. It's amazing what little things make such a big difference for those folks. I'll never forget Mike Rumor. We went to one home church. I'm going to tell you a couple of stories and I'm going to quit. We went to one home church there and we went in and I forget what we did, we ended up giving some money for something or another and they had a little bitty boy and he was glued to his daddy's leg wherever daddy went. That little one was right there with him. He didn't want to miss nothing and we, we left and they had this had this canal, a big deep ditch in front of the church in his house, and he had a little bridge to go over to get back out on the road. And we walked back out to the, to the car there, and the little boy was standing there looking, and Mike still had a baseball in his backpack, and he took that baseball out and he showed it to that little one. That little one looked up at his daddy. His daddy said, okay, that little fella come flying down through there, <laughs> crossed that bridge, got that, that baseball. And back to his daddy he went. I never forget that. Made such a big difference, just a little baseball for that youngin. Another church we went to over there, just a pastor was there. And all it's all his walls and stuff were were sticks. And then the roof was sticks with palm fronds on it to keep the rain out. And we asked him what he could we could do for him, and he needed a bus ticket. His wife was actually in the hospital. About 35 miles away, and he didn't have any money for a ticket to go over and visit his wife while she was so sick in the hospital. So, we made sure he had enough money, and blessed the church too. But that's what you run into down there. If you want an eye-opening experience, go down to Cuba. Go down there and see how those folks live. I told the guys last Thursday night, we're just a bunch of fat, sassy Christians. I forget what we'd, oh, ham. Serena prepared them a ham and scalloped potatoes and whatever else that she made. And everybody just sat there and ate and ate and ate you know, until they were full. And we went in there and sat down on my nice soft couches for Bible study. And I told them, I said, we're just nothing but a bunch of fat, lazy Christians. There is no persecution going on at all for us. You can sit here, you done ate all the food you wanted. You've come in here and you sit down on a nice soft couch with plenty of air conditioning to keep you cool. There's no persecution. There's nobody busting down my door because I've got eight to ten men in my living room studying the Word of God. We have it so good here. So good here. When other people in other countries are suffering so bad. But you know what? They still serve the Lord wholeheartedly. You could go down to any of them churches and tell them all to be there at 3 o'clock in the morning for a prayer meeting. house will be full. They love the Lord. That's the reason I enjoy going so much. Chaz Chaz is not here tonight. No, Rhonda's by herself. Chaz is down there and Chaz is one of those guys that sings. <laughs> well, he's praising the Lord. And we was down there at a church, and there's this little gal in there, she might have been a little bit on the plump side, we named her Biscuits. <laughs> and they all take turns, the praise team sings a song. That's the reason it takes so long to get through the praise worship, because everybody on the stage sings a solo. And it got down to biscuits, and biscuits got up there. And whenever biscuits start singing, you better give that girl some room. Because she's going to be all over the place. The Holy Spirit's going to anoint her. And she's going to praise and worship with everything inside of her. And she was singing a song, and I looked up her, has got both hands in the air. He's doing the gator thing. (laughs) All it took was old biscuits to cut him free. (laughs) I told him, I reminded him that the other day. I seen him over here. He was doing the Chaz thing again. I says, You remember Cuba, big boy? (laughs) Do I need to go get biscuits? When the, I couldn't understand. You know, I couldn't understand a word of those praise and worship songs. But you know what? Didn't matter a bit. Not one bit did it matter. I don't know what they singing, but I knew that I knew the, uh, the 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 music that they were playing. And we'd be singing in American, and they'd be singing in in Spanish, and we'd all come together. And I'll tell you what: Hallelujah. What a glorious praise and worship it would turn out to be, even when you couldn't understand each other. Pastor, you remember when you were down there cutting wire? Yeah. yeah. Pastor, we he got the job of cutting wire. Had a big coil of wire. And Pastor was cutting them into about a foot-long pieces, wasn't it? Something like that. Just to tie the rebar, yeah. Yeah, to tie the rebar with. And Pastor's sitting there, and he's cutting, measuring them out there, cutting them off. Measuring them out there, cutting it off. And I heard a commotion going on, I went over there and the wire done fell off the table and it looked like a bird's nest. And everybody was trying to remember, everybody was trying to get it all straightened out and everything and, and it was like, I said, give me that wire. I went in there to those three little old ladies that prayed and I walked in, I couldn't, I couldn't, they didn't understand a word I said. And I give them that wire and I said, make it straight. They go, I said, yep. Make it straight. It wasn't 15 minutes I walked in there, here she come with it, all coiled back up again ready to rock and roll. It was amazing, amazing. When we give up on it, call the troops out. (laughs) There's nothing like Sunday school down there with the little ones either. Got the banana trees planted up behind the church in different shady spots, and you got a little old bench, two posts drove in the ground with a 2 by 12 across it, if they're lucky, for their bench for Sunday school. Chickens running around everywhere, you got to clean your feet every time you go someplace. It didn't stop the children, it didn't stop the Sunday school teachers, and it didn't stop the Word of God. Remember all them little baby dolls I bought? I I had a bunch of, I figured the little girls would like a baby doll down there, and I forget where me and Shereen found them, but I, uh, Dollar Tree, I I must have had what, 25, 30 of them stuffed in my suitcase for them kids? And I was walking around handing them out to all the little girls, and they were all blonde except for one. And it was a brunette. And I'll never forget that little girl. She's the only one that got a brunette baby doll. Everybody else was blonde. And she come up to me and asked me if she could have a blonde one. I was like, I don't have another one. So, I told her, I forget, I I bribed her with something else, I forget what it was. I had the interpreter tell her, "If if you'll keep this baby doll you can have this too. She's like, okay. She could. She had a little bitty thing. It was so funny though. Everybody got blonde baby dolls except her. She got a brunette and didn't want it. That's <laughs> amazing. God's good. God has been so good to me. And He's going to be good to me because I do the very best that I can. I'm not a perfect man. I know everybody thinks I'm so perfect. Has <laughs> that lady right there. <laughs> but I do the best I can. You you remember that passage in the Bible that says grace is new every morning? Yeah, well I have to go to it quite a few times. But I do the best I can, and I'm going to keep doing the best I can. God will give me the strength to do whatever I need to do. I know He will. He always has, He always will. Don't give up on your family, and don't get hit with a lightning bolt. Serve the Lord with your whole heart. That's what I tell my Thursday night guys. Greg's one of them. If you serve the Lord with everything that you got, God is obligated to take care of you. And he will bless you beyond means. On behalf of our pastor and staff here at OAG, we want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of our ministry. We are grateful for you and the support you give our church and its ministries so that we can continue to do what God has called us to do to be the family church for the family of God. For more content from Pastor Strickland and Oxford Assembly of God, check out our media website at oag.church/media.